Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Oh, Heidi Ho, it's episode 271. We're recording this live on January 26th, 2023. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hey, good evening there. Hey, good evening there. Uh, we got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be, I don't know what that was. You started was, off with Heidi, with Heidi Ho, so I thought I'd try and follow it up. I don't know. For some reason, I was expecting hello there. I don't know. <laughs> We got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about all our favorite stuff from CES 2023 and some of our uh, favorite stuff in other ways, too. Uh, later, we'll answer some questions from the community about layoffs in human factors roles, realizing company culture is toxic, and how to handle stakeholders denying ideas that are not feasible. But first, some programming notes. We recently went through a Patreon uh, refresh, is what we're calling it. Um you know, lots of lots of other fun things going on uh, behind the scenes at Patreon. We clarified some benefits, added some benefits to some things. In fact, Barry uh, in the pre-show just graciously offered to add more stuff to Human Factors Cast Academy uh, for our supporters at that tier. So there's a lot of fun stuff uh, in the works over on our Patreon. So it, now's a great time. It's a new year, new you. You can become a patron, support the show. And uh, yeah. It's a fun time. Barry, what is what is uh, going on over at 1202? So at 1202, I finally set season five off and and we we have recorded our first episode. It's in where I and it goes live on Monday. Really excited about it. It's an interview with Stephen Shorrock. Um, and really, he gives a really strong and insightful view on where the discipline's been and where he thinks it's going. And he really throws down some interesting ideas about and, and made me think quite a lot so much so that we went well over the hour and uh, that we that we usually do and yeah i can't wait for that to drop on monday it's gonna be really good is this your longest episode yet is it the i don't know if it's the longest episode but but length versus length times quality it's probably well up there good good all right well uh why don't we get into this part of the show you're all here for Ah, uh, yes, it's Human Factors News. This is where we break down the latest and greatest in the field of human factors. Barry, what is the story this week? So the story this week is the best of CES 2023. So the popular tech publication Endgadget uh, covered the CES 2023 event early this month, mar marking a real return to form for the publication and the tech industry as a whole, as many cancelled plans for the event in 2022. Now, the team reported that the show was busy enough to feel like a true return to form, and it was evident that the tech industry is still thriving. One of the highlights for the event for Engadget was their annual Best of CES Awards program. This year, uh, this year marked the first time in three years that they were able to base their judgments from a full slate of in-person hands-on experiences. They handed out a dozen awards this year, including the most prestigious Best of the Best. The awards aim to capture the products that they believe people will still be talking about weeks or even months after the show concludes. From wireless TVs to an electric RAM concept truck, which I thought was really cool, to a $1,000 stand mixer, there were plenty of noteworthy products on display. Engadget also made sure to separate the wheat from the chaff, avoiding products that are nothing but vaporware or are getting attention for being, well, dumb. Don't worry, I'm gonna, we are going to talk about them as well. So 
we thought it was a great idea to take a look at the event to provide informative and educational look at some of the tech, whilst highlighting the importance of human factors, engineering and ergonomics. So, Nick, when do we go to CES and do the Ergonomics Awards? I would love to do that. Uh, if we get enough patrons, we can, we can do that. Uh, I, I, can we not apply to become like a media thing well, and, I mean, and do awesome things? I'm positive we could get media passes to this thing. It's travel and lodging and all that stuff that that would really out of pocket. Uh, like, exist. yeah, yeah, we're we're a media outlet. We could we could get press passes to this, no problem. Um, I I love CES. I think it's I think it's one of the underlooked conferences for human factors professionals. Um, it's not a traditional. Uh, it's a it's a show. It's a it's a consumer mm. electronics show, and it's it's a it's like a trade show. And so it's not a conference in the same way that you might use to exchange information about academic study, uh, to exchange ideas in that type of way, or you know, to to get uh, ideas from science, uh, academia to industry. It's it's something totally different where you get to see what new ways in which people are pushing, in a lot of cases, HCI, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of at the at the edges of <laughs> the fringe. Uh, as we'll see here, some of these are are kind of way out there um, towards the bottom of our list, but some of them are really impactful to people's lives. And so I always love covering CES. We actually haven't done this on the show since 2020, so it's exciting for us, too. Um, and like always, some of the tech is very cool and some of it's very weird and we'll get into it. But Barry, what is your sort of initial reaction looking through this list of stuff? Uh, like, what do you think? Yeah, so I mean, concept, early market ideas, um, shown to us all just to be able to next to each other and what's not to like. I mean, we have um, I, we've been to a couple of things here in the UK, like they have the, the gadget show, they have the gadget show live, which we've sort which we've um, been to. I took my team team around because of exactly what you said. It's a good time to see, you know, what what is out there in terms of new interface designs. What are we what we're we looking at? Where's the technology going? And what I really like about it as well is we've been through a couple of really difficult years um, where, you know, with lockdowns and things like that. But it's fantastic that people have still got that that drive, that will to to expand the thinking and come up with some cool, some slightly weird, some downright odd, um, but still coming out there with some willing to throw them out there and say, look at this. Isn't this different? Isn't this great? So... I love these type of shows. I think we should be going to more of them. And and you sort of mentioned like some of our own conferences. We should be having um, zones and areas that brings all this stuff into that and mm -hmm. smashes them both together in some way. Um, maybe that's that's a challenge for us this year or something. Um, but yeah, I think I think we need to dive into some of these things and and tell people what we found. Yeah, well, we didn't. We uh, we found them in Gadget sort of. Uh put the list together of their best ones. So I think, you know, it's a good place to start. We did pull in a couple other ones that weren't listed on Engadget. They kind of do the best. And we wanted to look at some of the um, interesting ones. We'll say interesting. Uh, and so those are kind of further down on our list. But let's, and, and we did kind of alter this list a little bit too from the original article because some of it's not necessarily human factors related, like TV, yeah. laptops, come on. Anyway, so let's let's get into it. So I think this first one here, uh, in, in terms of accessibility, they were looking at the best accessibility um, technology, and L'Oreal uh, Hapta is is what came out of this. Uh, their their pick for best accessibility, which is uh, essentially an, an assistive lipstick applicator 
um, which it, it's a uh, it has sort of the stabilizing effect to help people apply lipstick. And this is um, this is really interesting because it's using a gimbal system that's basically letting those without finger dexterity uh, or strength to move the lipstick gimbal and apply it to your lips. And so this is this is uh, this is a pretty cool product, actually, if you think about it. Right mm. now, now beauty is accessible, although I have a point on that in a minute. But what do you think about this? I think it's it's really neat. I mean, as much as um, I don't necessarily think that everybody needs to wear makeup all the time, it's the it's the idea that they've found. Um, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever tried putting lipstick on um, oh, yeah. yourself? So we've all had a go, and generally, um, whenever I've tried to uh, put it on for like parties or whatever, um, it, it it it's an art form, isn't it? That um, that that clearly. Um, people who use it learn from a, um, an early rate and through repetitive use. And so you can just imagine that people who want to use it but can't for whatever reason, um, be that hand, arm, wrist, mo- generally motor issues, um, would feel that they are um, being left behind or being left out. And so to have something like this that uses um, technology that um, it's clearly been around because it's, it's similar technology to where people use steadicams and, and things like that um to then come and use it to to do something like this when you think why would you spend so much money and effort putting in doing this doing a lipstick applicator but the amount of people who wear lipstick is clearly massive um so yeah i when i when i first read it uh you know you read the first you read the first line you're like how's that going how's that going to work but then when you read into it it's really clever um and yeah, I, I like it a lot. It did actually make me think as well. Is there what's the next step for this? Yes, so you've got this, but actually, is there a um, a medical stroke, surgery stroke, um, that sort of application? Then I was like, my mind was just going um, pop, 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 pop with, with different sorts of ideas. So yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really neat, and and it sort of shows that people are now thinking. Um, you know, we I guess we would almost term there was sort of more edge cases in terms of to use the demographic but people are absolutely there because that i think the edge is quite big yeah i mean like i you you kind of you leapfrogged my point about expansion to other makeup applications and you went straight to like other i didn't see your note (laughs) sorry yeah it's okay it's okay but yeah i mean i was i was thinking expansion to makeup applications not something greater and so you just got to leapfrog that anyway i i do want to bring up a good point here though in in terms of affordability of accessibility devices and you know this this is 150 to 200 dollars is what they're looking at for the retail price and it just it it's um it's a conversation to be had about the accessibility of accessibility devices uh, or yeah. affordability, I should say, because uh, ultimately, if you're designing for a population that, you know, can't use this thing, um, then you need to take cost into consideration. All things considered, 150 to $250 or $200 is, is relatively affordable for something like this, um, especially if it, like, I don't know, I'd spend $200 on my self-esteem. That'd be an easy spend. Um, and so I think the price point is right for this. Although, you know, what does the demographic look like? Uh, for folks with those uh, hand finger dexterity strength issues, right? And then beyond that, what does this look like for folks with um, limited hand and arm mobility to where they can't 
you know, they can't move their arm in certain ways. Like they can't lift up their arm to get to their mouth or something like that. Right. You know, there's, that's kind of the next step for me is like, how can you make a robot that'll do this for you? <laughs> well, yeah, it's the, uh, I was just thinking, how do, how do you integrate it with AI? So that, um, going back to what I said earlier about if you're not very good at putting it on, um, it does it properly for you. Yeah. You All right, let's get into this next one. You want to read this one, Barry? So the next one was for best gaming product. And Sony have got this one with their Project Leonardo. So Project Leonardo is a uh, their first piece of gaming hardware designed specifically for people with limited motor control. We're getting a bit of a theme. And apparently it happens to look pretty neat at the same time, according to Engadget. So it's a controller kit that will work out the box with, with PlayStation 5, um, given that it's Sony, um, offering two circular game pads lined with swappable buttons, third-party accessory ports, and other customizable inputs. The controllers, they, they, they lie flat on the table and can be mounted on, on a standard tripod, um, and they can be paired with the DualSense to turn all three devices into a single gamepad, offering flexibility for players depending on what their needs are. Um, to build it, they partnered with advocacy organizations, including Able Games and Special Effect, just like Microsoft did with the um, Xbox Adaptive Controller. Um, and then Project Leonardo represents, and um, they claim, another positive step for accessibility tech in video games, a market that's filled with surprises and primed for growth in 2023. So it's it's really interesting. You look at the picture of this, and it's it looks odd. I think it's um, basically like a effectively a couple of discs um or circular gamepads as they call yeah. them but it's that customizability for um to meet whatever needs um uh, you have um to, to to make it work properly so it's i think personally i think this is a really good thing that um that we're starting to think about who it is that that is using it and not just trying to push us down to you know because we've all played with these game controllers that we you have to learn what all the di different buttons are, where they all are. Um, people that come up with new initiatives, such, such as like the shoulder buttons, and then you get more and more um, controllers. So this is this feels like one of the the first break where you actually make your own the gamepad to suit you, rather than you having to suit the gamepad. A truly human factors approach. What do you think? Yeah, how, how, no. how do you feel about it? I really like it. Um, and and designing for customizability is is also. Um, it's it's a skill right you have to you have to think about the types of people that would use this product and then how they might want to customize it and especially when it comes to um you know making gaming accessories accessible uh mm -hmm. i think this is i think this is a good approach I, and you know i'm i'm happy that they partnered with um you know various organizations like they said here in the article but i think one thing for me is is um you know how does this compare to other options like microsoft's option right so microsoft has a bunch of different peripherals that um kind of have uh various interaction methods and you kind of configure those peripherals where this seems to be uh, and it, it seems like this has the option for those where you can mm, plug them into it. some of that yeah yeah right um, which is great, right? But I think that the base, you have sort of these pads that you can interact with in, in a variety of different ways. And um, I what I really like about these is that they go beyond video games. These could be manipulation mechanisms for other HCI devices. Uh, and, and so that in itself is reason to watch this space. Um, 
you know, I, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. This also won best of the best, but since we're talking about it now, let's just talk about it. Right. Same. So they thought, they thought this one best of the best, uh, in terms of all of their, um, in gadgets best. And so it's, it's fun to look at from that perspective as well. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of potential here and just the fact that it was designed with these folks in mind, flexibility in mind is, is comforting, right? I mean, I don't know how, or I guess what, I guess peripheral is going to peripheral set is going to be preferred by a larger community. Microsoft's been out there. And one of Microsoft's sort of key points is that their kit is a hundred dollars and talking about the affordability of accessibility again, like that is, that is a huge thing. And so, you know, if, if, if Sony can meet them and the other part of this that I want to touch on is, you know, are these interoperable with the other set? Can I put a Sony piece and a Microsoft piece together or are they locked into their own ecosystems? Cause like, what if one works better for me and the other one doesn't, I don't know. I just think that that might be something they could collaborate on. <laughs> I was say, I, I'm guessing I could probably almost tell you the answer right now. Um, but that might be just me being cynical, but you do raise a really good point there because if this is going to become a thing, which it clearly is, I mean, I, I, I think Sony entering this market is really good because it will a, it will push Microsoft as well and the other the other providers out there because that's what a competitive market does. Yeah. Um, but will we then also now start maybe seeing an interface um, standard to allow the bringing together of different types of interface uh, in you know thing to do to to allow you to customize it to be a perfect controller for you. Maybe, who knows? I would love to see that because we're starting to see that with the phones, right? Instead of, I think what was Apple was just sued in in the UK for having their own proprietary system. And so now you have, uh, everyone's going to be using USB-C and that's a standard. So that's, you know, that type of thing with input methodology, that'd be great. Um, Anything else with this one or should I move on to the next? I think just to qualify your last, comment i think it was in your in the eu that they were sued oh EU. Uh, okay. uk because we were stupid and left the eu but that's a different topic oh oh oh, oh. right right, right. <laughs> gotcha all right thank you for correcting me all right the next one here uh valence cell blood pressure monitoring prototype so this one is interesting and it's a it's a ppg um and so if you're familiar with ppg we have a human factors minute on that uh it's it's a fingertip clip but the interesting bit about this is that it's using algorithms that combine the user's age, weight, gender, height, all this stuff to create a blood pressure measurement without the need for calibration, which is really interesting when you think about it and accessible when you think about it. I think that's a theme of this year in a lot of ways. Um, And there's sort of, you know, this has been around for a while, but I think this, uh, you know, being able to have this type of thing available to clinics and hospitals alongside uh, a version for personal use, um, you know, if it gets approved by the FDA is going to be huge. So, you know, having a blood pressure monitor PPG, um, you know, instead of having to do the cuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, it's a really massive step. Um, it's something that's quite close to my heart, actually, because I'm actually, I've been working on a project now for about the past 18 months that does something not with not with fingertip, but does something and does something similar. Um, but the the idea that a lot of people don't like getting their blood pressure taken because of the cuff and the way it, it 
cuts off the blood supply and you can have like the sort of the reactions to when it's quite can be quite painful etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it takes time so to be able to do this really quite quickly um because you because you're not doing that um calibration though that does the, there's a couple of issues i'll come back to with that um yeah. but the but the principle of it i think will be um really really good particularly for um like I say more um ongoing use but also when you need when you need to get rapid uh it doesn't necessarily have to be totally accurate but it, you need to understand the ballpark so um trauma care emergency care um things like that maybe um in um assisted living uh and, and them sort of things my problem with the calibration to a certain extent and we saw this through the pandemic where we thought we had really good so um blood oximeters so measuring the amount of oxygen in the blood there was loads of um issues that came up through the covid um period where depending on the color of a person's skin you were getting because uh, they're using optical sensors to measure measure blood uh, blood oxygen levels with the darker shades of skin you were getting false readings um, because the calibration hadn't been done properly and people didn't realize there was an issue until it was too late and Essentially, what happened was people with darker skin tones were getting lower. Sorry, were, were being shown as to have having higher blood oxygen levels than what they actually d- did, um, and so we're we're getting into into serious health issues. So with things like this, I've just because of that issue, I've had it um, really rammed home that we need to make sure that this idea of um, quick, easy wins are thoroughly, and I'm sure there will be, but thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly tested. Um, yeah to make sure that the cal- the non-calibration is doesn't inadvertently cause issues that it's not meant to. But all that aside, this sounds brilliant. Um, yeah. From, from a usability perspective, I'll just throw in, and I recognize I haven't let you get a word in edgeways yet. Um, but from a usability p- perspective, I have a real issue with um, sensors that go on, go on fingertips um, because you then can't do it. You, you literally then can't do anything else with them. Um, so you, you, um you they can get knocked off etc cetera, etc cetera. you can lose them right i'm going to shut up now what do you think of no, this no 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 i mean in terms of usability you're right but the whole point here is that this is supposed to be quick you put it on for 2 seconds and you got a reading like um you know or 5 seconds or whatever it is but you're right i mean there's algorithmic bias that absolutely needs to be taken into account especially if you're looking at um you know that this combination of data from various sources like age weight all this stuff um, you know, I think it, it has, you're absolutely right. The potential to be more accurate, but also can go really wrong if we don't get it right. So yeah, let's get it right. That's all I have to say on that topic. So, well, just to the, the reason I, I was saying about the, the, the finger clip was we've, we look at this task based on what we do at the moment, which is to take a, um, a reading at a moment in time. Um, whereas if we got, if we had it in a way that was, um, said not on a fingertip or something that you could leave on for longer, which continuous. you get more continuous measurement because there is issues that come out with um, people who get stressed. You know, you go and get your measurements taken, um, okay. blood pressure, all that. you're automatically stressed because you're getting your blood pressure taken, um, which elevates your blood pressure. And and that's not great. So if you could do a more continuous method, then um, that it lends itself to more accurate reading. Yeah, it'd be cool to see that. Um, but yeah, the device currently doesn't look like it would support that. It looks like it would fly right off, <laughs> but you know, I can, I can definitely see it, you know, um, somewhere down the line. If, 
if you have a um you know somebody who's in a hospital bed or something just clip it to their yeah. finger and they you know like the o2 monitor just build it all in one but that's a conversation for another time. All right, let's get into this next one here. Um, is this yeah. me reading? Right, it's me because you still you had the last one. I yeah, just talked about ahead. it a lot. Um, so this yeah. one is about best mobile or tablet tech, and it's it's not a piece of kit as such. It's a it's a standard. It's the WPC QI two charging standard, which is obviously we all know what that is, right? Um, so totally. In, yeah. So. Remember what MagSafe is when Apple put MagSafe charging onto the onto the iPhone, where you, so you can put it on. You don't actually have to plug it in anymore. You can put it onto a device and just through the um, the um, mag, basically the, the magnet to it, it can transfer power to your to your phone. So you don't have to plug it in. Um, it's simple, convenient, and actually, you know, it means you can have your case on while you're doing that, doing all that sort of stuff. So. At CES 2023, the WPC, which actually is the Wireless Power Consortium, has released details on this new standard, the, this uh, QI2, which will bring similar functionality to the busy other handsets. Um, now, you'd sort of think that on the plus side that this is really good because it means everybody can take um, take advantage of this magnetic power profile. Um, so you can you can basically charge your all your phones, not just uh, not just Apple phones, um, but a lot of people would be thinking, well, actually, that's great, but um, other people do stuff that Apple do, and it'll just be a poor, um, poor, poor implementation. But Apple is actually part of the of this consortium, so it, this whatever happens to this bit to become a um, a standard MagSafe, effectively, um, it should be good, and that's going to arrive on retail devices in Q4 of this year. So that it's really quite an exciting thing because. As you alluded to earlier, there is these issues around lightning cables, USB-C cables, micro-USB cables, um, all these different charging devices. Whereas this, it will just be a standard that anybody you can plug, put, uh, put your phone onto any charging platform and it will work. Um, there's already starting to get some of this. I got a, a set of e- um, earbuds the other day and I can, plug, I can put that onto my um, charging unit and they'll charge wirelessly. Um, which just saves so much hassle from having to find a cable, plug it in, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and did I mention I've got a new car? I think. Oh I yeah, did you did a while ago. Yeah, yeah. That whole has, episode on your new car. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but that has a, you know, it it has a MagSafe platform in it that you can just put your phone onto and charge, and it just takes away some of that um, that, that conflict. So I think the ability to make this ubiquitous and to a right standard um, throughout the industry is a is a huge step forward what do you think Nick? i think uh standards are good um we we have a lot on this list that i want to get to but speaking of your car i'm going to move this one up here this next one here is best transportation tech uh ram 1500 bev concept so uh basically what what, what they're looking at here is a um battery powered pickup concept but um one of the key things here is there's animated grill emblems taillights badging has integrated movie projector i know barry's uh looking for one of those ai assistants that respond to voice commands both inside and outside the vehicle as well as a shadow mode that barry is super excited about he can tell us more yeah. about a little bit about that but it trains the truck to follow along behind uh a, 
its dismounted driver from a safe distance. Um, essentially, they're thinking about using this feature on job sites where workers would otherwise have to get in and out of the truck uh, for short drives. Um, so it's kind of a cool concept. Uh, you know, again, this is best in transportation tech. Not much more to say here. What do you think? I think the I think obviously it's, it's following on on from the um, Tesla truck, isn't it? It's the it's this idea. It's it's Ram's answer to that. Um, and like you say, a lot of it you could argue is fairly standard in this field. But this idea of this shadow mode is something that I think is I think is quite unique and and quite clever. Not necessarily for this Ram truck, but you could imagine having almost any vehicle that you need to understand where you're at and follow your commands um be that from like a big i don't know a um a digger or something like that all the way through to um being having to maneuver aircraft around around an airport through the um through the tow trucks you know this sort of if if it works and it works well that i think is is, is such an exciting concept um to make work but then from an, a human factors perspective you don't want to get that wrong you do not um, want to get that wrong. If, if, it, if it's shadowing you like sort of two inches from your back, you stop and it doesn't stop. Into oh, that could get a thing. But I, 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 I saw that. And out of all of the truck, the truck I think looks quite cool. Um, and all the other stuff in it, I think is cool. But that is exciting. Yeah, that that is cool. And then I almost cut this thing out. And then Barry said, "No, the shadow mode. The shadow mode. We got to talk about the shadow mode." You're right. It is cool. Um, because when I first read this, I didn't realize that it was talking about a person outside of the car mm -hmm. standing, you know, and, and the truck is following them along uh, where, yes, this this you got to get it right. You got to get it right here. <laughs> you want to get into this next one? Yeah. So, oh, not really, because you talked about once to cut. I thought this might have been on that list. But um, but we talked about um, the re best robot drone, which is Kiai Luna. Um, so. Basically, it, this comes down into the the robot pet, uh, pet category. Um, in historically, they've been all right, but not very cute, not very endearing. Whereas Luna, this futuristic companion from Kiai, with his big puppy dog eyes and wiggling ears, has the adorable thing locked down, um, as they say. It's my it, it can scurry around your living space without running into walls, so it, it it has that sense of proportion about where it's at. But apparently. The, they suggest its real magic is in its expressiveness. Um, it's a, they, they suggest it's impressive what you can do with a small display, four wheels and two ears. Um, but it's also got, from a tech perspective, it's got loads and loads of sensors allow, allowing it to respond to voice, gestures and touch. And it's got sort of games and it turns it makes it into a decent companion. Um, they're suggesting using it for STEM tools for kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I, 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 it sort of fits into that thing of it looks cool, but it's possibly not quite my bag. Um, though I, I, I did have um, what them little creatures that you used to get to talk to each other, and um, oh, that will come back to me at some other point. But yeah. anyway, you know, yeah, you, you have all these sort of um, little toys, great, um, but I, it, it isn't, it doesn't pull many strings for me. What about you, Nick? What, 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 why do you think it should should have stayed in here? Uh, I just want to say that, like robots and and human robot interaction is a huge subfield within human factors, and I think cuter robots mean greater trust, and that's just something to keep in mind here when you think about uh, robot um, robots interacting with not only adults but 
children too. I mean, that's you have to think about that. If children are grown, uh, growing up to trust robots in a certain way, you better make sure you get that right from a human factors perspective, because then they're going to believe that all robots are going to be at the same reliability or all autonomous systems are going to have the same reliability, which may not necessarily be true. It needs to be able to qualify, um, some of those responses that, you know, say not, not all robots can happen this way. Uh, just, I just wanted to bring that up. They're conversational actors, and it certainly seems like they're trying to get to that. Uh, the next one up here is um, a smart mixer by GE. So this one's a kitchen gadget, and I know Barry's looking at redoing a kitchen. I saw pictures on Instagram. So uh, it's a high-end uh, mixer. comes with a built-in scale, accurately weighs ingredients, comes with voice control, app connectivity, um, and offers kind of a step-by-step for recipes and adjusts mixing speeds as needed. So that's kind of cool uh, that it has all that stuff. It has a really steep price tag, but you know, if you're into the, if you're if you're into kitchen stuff and cooking, then I can imagine this would be, um, you know, quite quite uh, fun to have. Yeah, I think it's as you say for the for the price tag, it's just a, just shy of a thousand dollars, and but the integrated scale I think is cool. Voice commands, um, that sort of has me a bit worried. If you've got your hands in trying to put some ingredients in, and somebody behind you shouts "super speed" or whatever it is, and somebody starts mixing, and you you've got no hands left, that that's slightly concerning. Um, but and then do we need an app? I don't know. Um, but you know, I think it'd be interesting to see to see this one get underway. I think possibly slightly over-engineered, I fancy. Yeah, I agree too. All right, we got we got one more good one, and then we got some dumb tech. You want to read this last good one? Yeah. So the this in the wearables category, um, the German Bionic Apogee, and it's it's the next level. And we we've talked about um, exoskeletons um, a bit. But this new exosuit builds upon uh, their, their Cray exoskeleton that showed off last year. And basically, it's it's, um, it's an exoskeleton that, that you wear around your, your hips and um, goes over your shoulders. Um, it can basically help you do them physical tasks, them physical lifting tasks, without putting so much strain on your body. So it can offset up to 66 pounds of load to the lower back per lifting motion, reduces fatigue, and... Uh, overall helps with uh, walking assistance and it's the lightest exoskeleton that they produce to date and it what is also quite neat is it also it constantly gathers data about what's going on and so can provide you feedback about how you're using it and if you're doing something that you shouldn't necessarily be doing so it's an unsafe or like a non-stable or a non-assisted movement then it'll actually alert you to realize that you're doing something that you shouldn't be um they are currently pushing out into warehouses and commercial settings, so you don't expect to have it in your house anytime soon. But it looks cool. It it actually looks like something it as well. You look at photos. It looks like something you'd wear. It doesn't look clunky. It doesn't look. It looks like something you'd be quite happy to walk down the street with. Um, so you've had a look at this, Nick. What do you think? Dare I say it's a sexy piece of kit? Like it, yeah. I mean, like you you wear this, you feel like a superhero. I, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. And, and I don't have much more to say that hasn't already been said. I would say, go take a listen to some of our coverage around Ergo X, especially the ones that we did in 2018, where we sat down and talked to 
Chris Reed about exoskeleton. We nerded out. Um, and it was, it was cool. It was a cool conference. Everyone, you know, was getting into their exoskeletons in a conference room. <laughs> it's kind of fun, but I, I love seeing the technology come to fruition. I mean, we know that this has been a huge point of research, uh, at least in human factors about how does human, how do humans integrate, integrate ergonomically with the exoskeleton suit itself. And I think, um, you know, looking good is half that battle. So. All right. Um, let's get into some dumb tech here. I I, re- <laughs> I really want to talk about th- I'm going to talk about this one first because yeah. I I don't want you to talk about this one. I want to I want to steal the thunder here. So the aroma shooter. <laughs> okay. So the aroma shooter is um is it, it might take the crown here for for the best of at least in my mind. It's it's got the stupidest name. <laughs> And the most potential for, uh, let's say, ill use here. <laughs> so it uses solid state cartridges uh, that that come in a variety of flavors, um, and uh, basically, it's essentially an, a, a wearable aroma diffuser. And um, you're watching stuff on TV, or your computer, or in VR, and it shoots out aroma at your nose. So uh, you know. Nothing, nothing super strange about that. People have been wanting to transmit smells digitally for quite some time. Smell a vision, um, but it also has some massive potential here for some uh, some weird third party integration. Let's just say that I, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I think mom and dad are watching. Yeah, I think it's um, <laughs> it is one of these things though. That it it is almost like a bit of a holy grail at the moment because it's the it is one of these things we just can't do. And the, our sense of smell is one of the most sensitive senses that we've got. So if we could get that right, it would massively enhance our um, integration with technology. Um, but it's interesting that, again, we we highlight this as um, the way it could be abused. I mean, could you imagine it being hacked? It um, or um, or the flip side of that, it actually, you know, giving you the smells of what you are watching. Um, you Sulfur. Know, be, like yeah, all, you're watching Lord of the Rings stuff. and you you smell sulfur or you know like it yeah there there's going to be a a need to turn this on and off um and or, because or moderate the smell <laughs> or adapt the smell or something exactly. like that and and what happens if you don't switch it off when you go onto certain websites as well but let's not go there <laughs> um but the I think it's yeah and the 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 name of it that I haven't got right either but no. the the idea of, of of being able to get that, get the smell, I think is exciting, but it's, yeah, it's just not yet. Yeah. You can pick the, any uh, one of these other ones. So I'm going to go for the, uh, for the pea pebble, um, okay. or as, as Withings call it, you scan. Um, so this for, I think this is really interesting as well. It's a health monitor. You have a little pebble and you put it into your toilet and it monitors your pee. Uh, so it, it's a urine monitor that helps you, you know, in theory, keep, keeps an eye on vitamin defi- deficiencies, estrogen, pH levels, and everything else that you can monitor through urine. Um, and it presents its findings through a handy mobile app, as they say, which is good because you don't want to be putting your hand back into that to go and pick it out and get in Bluetooth every time, do you? Because that would be annoying. Um, but again, it's it's been highlighted as a bit of dumb tech, but the principle of it is really good. Because just through urine samples, you get to know so much about what is going on, um, uh, going on with your body by what it's excreting. So 
the theory behind this, I think, is brilliant. The practical application of it, possibly less so. Um, yeah. What do you think, Nick? Because well, I know you've got, got a couple of, couple of um, country-based concerns with this one. Well, yeah, there's there's some pri- so US-based uh, privacy concerns with data. Um, there are certain states here in the states that can get people arrested because of stupid abortion laws. Like, that, it's... Yeah. And... P might be able to 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 solve that issue for anyway. It's just you got to be careful with that. So um, it's stupid for that, but I, I agree that there's a lot that you can learn. The practicality for those that stand, um, it, you you have to sit to use this thing. So that means every time you know, and if you want to look at trends over time, that means you have to sit every time, which is not convenient for those that stand. Uh, anyway, it's, I'm getting into a whole usability argument about it. It's a cool piece of tech, but again, like there's many yeah. things that they do. We're running short on time. I'm gonna get into this last last one, which is just ridiculous when you think about it. But it's basically it's called the Skyted voice uh, voice silencing mask, and it's a mask that you wear over your face. And I'm gonna try to do this so that way I still have good audio. But you mask it over your face, and it's so that way you can scream and talk in VR without disturbing the people around you. So, like, if you're playing a horror game and something surprises you, you know, and so you're, (laughs) it just covers your mouth. (laughs) Okay, I've lost it. All right, Barry, what do you think about this one? Let's get out of here. Yeah, great. I, I, I I can. Yeah, fine. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to Engadget for our news story this week, and thank you to all of you for selecting the story and. uh, you know, if you want to follow along, we do post links to all the original articles and weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us on Discord for more discussion about these stories. Tell us what your favorite is. Drop it in the in the channel. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you, as always, to our patrons. We especially want to thank our our Human Factors cast, all-access patron, Michelle Tripp. Uh, Patrons like you keep the show running. Truly, uh, we could not do this without your support. Um, By the way, did you know that we have some social media accounts that you can go and check out? We do have shorts uh, out there, so if you don't have time to commit to the full show, you're probably not listening to this. You're probably skipping over it, so this probably doesn't even... Anyway, if you want to check out our shorts, we have those bite-sized content. If you don't have time to listen to the full show, do that. Uh, we're short on time. Speaking of shorts, so we're going to get into this next part of the show we like to call... It came from... It came from... 
All right. Yes, this is It Came From. We look all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. If you find any of these answers useful, give us a like wherever you're watching or listening to help other people find this content. All right. We got a couple of really good ones tonight. This first one here is by Caleb Cor- Cor- Colorado. Uh, Col- Caleb Colorado. Wow. On uh, the Human Factors subreddit. Uh, layoffs in Human Factors. 12,000 from Google, 10,000 from Microsoft, 11,000 from Facebook. Seeing these tech layoff numbers has become worrisome for me. I'm getting ready to enter the industry. With the talk of another recession probably hitting us, what do you think are the most safe or job secure, recession proof jobs in human factors? Barry. Um, I think, and this is only my perception, that layoffs are more in the UX field than, than the broader HF field at the moment. Um, there is a discussion there around, I think we've had it a while back around fashionable nature of, of UX, but fundamentally the recession-proof jobs, um, nothing is completely recession-proof, I don't think, but safety-critical industries, so look at your air, your oil and gas, your nuclear, your defense, those places where they mandate the use of human factors and it's not just a nice-to-have would be where I'd be looking. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I thought it was worth revisiting just because I know a few who were hit with those layoffs. Um, and I think you're spot on there with UX being sort of the more uh, the industry that's affected more than human factors. Although there are some human factors engineers that did get layoff from Google and Microsoft. And so it's still worth talking about. Um, but you're right. Those critical industries looking at human factors, I think where human factors is absolutely indispensable. Those are your safest bets. Um, So there you go. All right, let's get into this next one here. Uh, This is by Abgi237 on the UX research subreddit. I uh, (laughs) when you realize the entire company culture environment has drunk in the Kool-Aid, I had an experience where they were all convinced they were doing good work. Uh, and solving really important and complex customer problems where they were not improving or driving any revenue for the business. The entire thing was being run at a loss and not producing anything. The complete cust- the complex customer pro- problems were the customer problems were selling DIY equipment from paintbrushes to bathtubs. What are other experiences of such strange and very toxic environments? I've seen this more than once and more than once in the in the past few years where people get fanatical around either a brand or they get really into and it, almost for the for the best of reasons you know the, the they've cultivated an atmosphere that is really and um really encompassing and all that sort of stuff and they get everybody it's almost really good leadership get get really behind the idea of what it is that what they're doing but fundamentally the what they're doing is broken um, they haven't they haven't based it on evidence. They haven't so it's it's belief over over facts. Um, so yeah, I'd like to say it's a one off, but it but it does happen. It's it's one of these things, and it's where some of the good products happen. Actually, you know the things that you don't think are going to happen. It's then one one in one in a million. Um, but yeah. Um, so what what you're saying is don't work for companies that act like cults. Is that Unless unless you think it's going to be one that is going to succeed. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. So. There's a there's a couple out there that you could you know you could name that a very very uh, side of very very cultish, um, but have succeeded. But actually, the vast majority of them don't. Yeah. Um. I. You know. I. I. I've seen this happen where the whole company kind of gets groupthink around process 
or procedure or management style. Um, and it's incredibly toxic for the entire company too. I've seen that happen. And uh, especially when they're not receptive to new ideas, that's, you know, kind of answering the question of where does this, these toxic environments happen? Um, you know, not just with the product and believing what you're doing with the product, but the, the way in which you conduct business behind the scenes too can have a large impact on that toxicity level of being at a company. Um, anything else to add to that one, Barry, or should we move on? No, I think that is that, that that's good. Okay. <laughs> Last one here. Is it common for product managers or product owners to shoot down any idea due to fe feasibility? This is by similarities on the user experience subreddit. I was asked to come up with a solution for a certain part of a product. Uh, when I came up with a solution, the rest of the UX team agreed on, uh, when I shared it with my PO, she did not go for it because it would be, quote, too much extra dev work. I feel like every time I come up with an ideal solution, my product owner will just adjust it in a way that leads to a much more confusing UX, but overall is less effort for developers to implement. Barry, what do you think of this? Have you ever encountered this before? Only on a work day. Um, yeah. Welcome to the job. It's the... Um... I mean, the one thing I would say is it's easy for us to look at this and say, don't they just know what we're talking about? But actually look at it from their perspective. And it's something I keep on having to kick myself to do all of the time is why are they, why are they coming out with that? Almost treat, treat them like that, you know, do, do a bit of user, uh, user research on them. You know, so look at it from their perspective. From their perspective, development time is expensive because they've got loads of devs and they know that they're a massive overhead and what they practice is the equivalent of voodoo because nobody else can do it. Um, and really, you don't see the output of the UX problem, um, of the user interface problem, of the, your user problem until the product hits the ground. Um, even though we'll be doing research and we'll be doing all the, all the user trials and all this sort of stuff, it's really easy for other people to belittle them, them discussions. So... They've either got a hard cost that they know that they they know that the, de that the dev time is expensive, and if they can reduce that, they know they save books on their pro on their project. So, um, so really, that means if you flip the thing on on its head, um, that makes it our job. It's not only just to come up with the solution, but it's to come up with a really good evidence base, not just "I told you so" or "I'm awesome, look at me." You employed me for my skills, um, which you think would be enough, but it's not. Um, we need to give them evidence. We need to give them solid reasoning. Um, now, it shouldn't be like this, but it is. Um, and it, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it does keep us more honest. Maybe it does keep us um, on our toes, but we do have to work harder to get our point across. Um, and maybe it's a good thing for us. Nick, what do you think? Have you ever encountered this before? I know it's a rare thing. It's it's very rare. No, I said my my snarky comment here is, oh, you must be new here. Welcome to the field. Uh, <laughs> but you're you're right. I mean, there's there's ways to work around this. Um, one is like kind of showing uh, showing why the design decisions would have some return on investment. Um, you know, if it saves users X amount of whatever, uh, that's a good one to come in. Right. And also understanding you're right from the perspective of the engineers, what specifically is hard to implement about this thing. Um, you know, I think there's a, a good discussion that can be had there, um, bringing everybody together and understanding everybody's needs. Working within constraints is one of the things that we are meant to do. Uh, understanding why it's hard for a developer to implement is part of your job because then you can provide a solution that's going to work for everybody. 
You know, you're the advocate for the user, but you're operating within the framework that you have established as your product. So just think about those types of things as you're trying to approach these situations with a product owner. You want to make sure that you're involving not only the product owner, but the developers at an early stage. So that way, when you come forward with a design solution based on user research, um, that it is going to be feasible, right? That's the whole thing. So Mm -hmm. uh, anything else to add there? Should we just get into one more thing? Let's just get into one more thing. Okay, let's do it. What's your one more thing this week? So my one more thing this week is is all about kitchen design. We having to we have to be grown up and do some make grown up decisions. We're um we're building an extension on the back of the house, or we'll be building an extension on the back of the house. And we last weekend when um on Sunday when I was, I was starting to feel better, we went round a couple of um kitchen showrooms where you go and talk to their people. And um, one of them was brilliant because they turned around and, and told us that we'd have to learn about this thing called ergonomics. And and how how we actually fit within our kitchen. Now, as uh, Amanda to put give give me a bit of a look as if to say, don't say it, don't say it, sit down. But one of the things it did do for us, we've um, we ended up. I, I did some sort of task walk through, walk through, talk through stuff around um, our utility room because we're having a bit of a utility room converting what is currently our kitchen into this thing. And and it wasn't until we started doing walk through, talk through about how we would use the. Um, the kitchen appliances in there that we realized that the wall was in the wrong place that the wall that we've got planned needed to move and i only wanted to move it 25 centimeters um 250 mil um in order to make it usable but that was the difference between what we would have which would be a poor second um and being able to just move it move that wall because it's still in paper form it's still it's still just in plans and so I had to rush a, uh, an email off to the architect to say, the wall's in the wrong place. We need to move it back um, to 250 mil um, in order to move a boiler to be able to put an appliance in to do, do, do this. So it was just really neat that actually we, um, you know, again, you don't switch the ergonomics off, do you? You don't switch off the human right. factors. You sit there and do that. And actually, I, I was kind of kicking myself about why we didn't catch it the first time around but i think with just the plans you just so overwhelmed but this all sets us up for tomorrow because tomorrow we're going around a couple of companies and actually having proper kitchen design sessions so yeah i could be tearing my hair out by the end of tomorrow uh, but it's exciting i'm 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 i think it's gonna be fun what about you nick what, what what's your one more thing <laughs> so i had a uh i like to partake in fast food every now and then i'm sure some of you like to as well uh <laughs> as i was it was prepared really well this this one morning that i had a carl's junior breakfast burger <laughs> and i got to thinking wow this is this is so well done i want to write a glowing review and i thought wow if there was only a tool that i could say you know write me a glowing review of the carl's junior breakfast burger uh i swear this is not an advertisement but i had i put it into chat gpt to write a review for it right and then i came back and said you know i've learned this this fun uh, chat GPT prompt where you can say, okay, use visceral emotional language, <laughs> rewrite it using visceral emotional language. Um, and what is follows is, uh, is, is the, is the review that I actually submitted to this. Okay. So the Carl's junior breakfast burger is an absolute culinary revelation. The explosion of flavors and textures in your mouth will leave you in a state of pure bliss. The patty is cooked to absolute perfection with a juicy and succulent taste that will make your taste buds dance. The seasoning is just right, elevating the natural taste of the beef to new heights. 
Each bite is a symphony of flavors that will leave you wanting more. The toppings are equally as divine with the bacon providing satisfying crunch and the perfect amount of saltiness. The egg is cooked to perfection but adds a rich and luxurious touch. The cheese is melted and gooey, adding an irresistible creaminess that will make your mouth water. The bun is a true masterpiece with a soft and fluffy texture that melts in your mouth. The slight sweetness perfectly complements the savory toppings, making for a truly harmonious taste experience. In short, the Carl's Jr. Breakfast Burger is a true work of art. It will tantalize all your senses and leave you in a state of pure gastronomic ec <laughs> ecstasy. <laughs> Damn it, I almost made it through. Whether you're whether you're a burger lover or just looking for something new, this burger is a must-try experience that you won't regret. Wow. And that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion around CES, I'll encourage you all to go listen to the last time we did CES, which was episode 152, uh, which was a digital detox, CES 2020 picks, and screen time for children. Comment wherever you're listening what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Discord community. Visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, leave us a five-star review uh, and, and replace everything with visceral emotional language when you do that. Uh, that is free for you to do. You could do that right now. Um, you too, you can tell your friends about us. Say, hey, the, the, these people, they're talking about CES from a Human Factors perspective. It's really cool. Listen to it. You can do that. Three, if you have the financial means to, support us on Patreon. We'd love your money. Uh, but seriously, what we do with your money is more important, and we put that right back into the show. We don't see a dime of that. In fact, I'm thousands of dollars in debt, so please help me, help me, help me. Uh, and as always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about uh, smelling Tina Turner references? <laughs> you can find me across social media, Baz underscore K. And if you want to hear more interviews with human factors practitioners and experts in the field, then come and find me at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media, causing trouble with ChatGBT at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors Practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.